0: and welcome to this week's TAP Talks HR podcast. This week, we've got Catherine Powell returning to us. Hi, Catherine.
1: Hi, lovely to be with you again.
0: No, uh, welcome back. I Yay. mean, uh, if you remember, we had our last podcast was around, I think it was Action Learning, and right at the end of it, we were kind of almost getting into organisational culture and how we can impact that in a, in a positive way. And today we're going to talk about organisational culture and how we can impact it in a positive way. So thanks for coming back. For those who might not have heard that last podcast, Catherine is an executive coach and an action learning facilitator and runs her own business and company around this. So Catherine, let's think about um, culture, organisational culture, um, why, why is it, do you find it really compelling right now for you and your business?
1: Well, I think organizational culture has been always compelling if, if that makes any sense, but I think it's it's massively topical in the world we live in now and and I think there's a kind of positively growing awareness in the media and within organizations of things like inclusion, diversity, you know ethical leadership, talent development. Um, and I guess we see in the media both kind of the best and the worst of cultures we exist in. So if I reference something like the gender pay gap or um, the Me Too campaign and even, you know, topical for some of the, the things going on in, in, in government, high profile dismissals, the management of Brexit. And I, you, I think you see the knock-on impact of that. So there's been a real interest in the rise of things like mindfulness in the workplace and, um, you know, Steve Peter's work on the chimp paradox and being able to manage your stress um, and, and certainly well-being and mental health. And I think all of those really are, are a product around culture in organisations. I think in organisational terms, probably more than ever, the feel of where we work, you know, things like what we get in terms of investment and what we can expect in terms of our treatment and trust and fairness and, you know, innovation and ability to thrive, you know, it's becoming a real critical determinant of who we recruit. Um, and I guess if we look at people as our most valuable resource in organisations, it would therefore follow that, that this determines our success. Um, and just kind of one last bit to, to answer that question there's a, there's a great uh, book by, called um, The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle um, he worked very closely with big companies and organisations Pixar and, and Navy Seals being just two and he talks very much about creating a lovable company and just to quote him because I think his stuff's you know very valuable he says culture is to recruiting as product is to marketing and that customers are more easily attracted to a great product, and talent is more easily attracted to a great culture. So to get our cultures right really transforms our performance.
0: And that's a, that's a great opening, and, and you said so many different things there. And, and it's interesting you talk about recruitment, because I think that's where the whole changing your culture starts doesn't it Mm. but but you have to do some work inside an organization first or you have that that shock element where people come in your talent comes into your business and it's not the right culture for them and you start losing people so it's almost like a chicken and egg isn't it with a culture it's like do you do you transform your original culture or do you bring people in from outside have you seen anything around that yourself or uh, any experiences on that
1: yeah, I, I mean, I work in lots of different organisations, and and some of those are thriving, and some of those are having a hard time. And when you bottom out, what's going on? It is often what you're talking about, which is how people perceive the organisational culture. I mean, way back in 1960, Igaris Aguir- talked about something called psychological contracting. You know, and what he said was. The irony is when you sign up for a job, you sign a contract, and that's meant to contain all of the things that are important in your job. So it will have salary, it will have roles and responsibilities, it will have the legal jargon. But when you ask people what actually matters about the organisation, it's not that stuff. It's actually the stuff that isn't written down, and it's actually the stuff that know the less successful organizations very rarely talk about which is the stuff we all know and people talk on corners about but never kind of face out and that's things like what does it feel to be part of this organization how do I get praise how do I know I'm valued how do I know I can move forward and the best and highest performing organizations really bottom that out um, and do lots of work around that.
0: And that's, that's really interesting because if you think about the psychological contract um, compared to the, the physical contract of salary, etc., I think if you look over the last 40 or 50 years in, in business, there's been a the the importance of one and the other has shifted, um, and I think as 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 the, the 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 standard of living has improved in the UK, that the salary one and, and the physical contract has gone down in importance, and the psychological contract has gone up. And then if I refer back to to your your list at the start of of, of this podcast, when you were talking about the Me Too movement, um, the gender pay gap, etc., um, it's almost like. Do you feel society's now got to a point where there's a, lo- a lack of patience to for this to change and for, for the culture inside of organisations to improve? And actually, it's almost like there's a bit of a kickback in the last three to five years where, where actually people say, Enough's enough. Now's the time that we need to have great cultures inside of organisations. We can't drag our heels anymore.
1: I think, I mean, that's a really interesting statement. I think that it's become. Uh possibly more of an employee's world. I mean, you know freedom of speech, uh, democracy, you know, we could argue that that over the last 20 years there's been an increase in people's kind of willingness to speak out and to say what they value and what should be right and I, I guess that translates into organisational dynamics. So uh, once upon a time hierarchy within organisations was incredibly important and, and your value in an organisation was based on the hierarchical movements that you made. That is less, in my experience, less so now. And in fact, you see people jumping hierarchy all over the place or moving sideways or transforming hierarchy. And we talk a lot about flat hierarchy, if there's such a thing, flat organisations. So um, I, I think there is certainly becoming a greater equity between the employee and the employer in terms of having these bargaining conversations, if you will, around you know, what does the culture feel like and is it right for me? And I think once upon a time we once negotiated pay, now I think we're seeing employees negotiating pay but also cultural features around performance management talent management investment um, and and in my mind that's a very healthy thing to be happening
0: yeah and I suppose with the, with the lack of the, the job for life and, and the, the the high level employment that we've got now it's almost like not only is it a nice thing to do for organizations to have a great culture but almost it's like you could argue it's a financial thing to do now is to have a great culture because you retain the top talent. And there isn't other talent you can go and buy out of the market. It's There's it's a limited supply. And supply and demand is almost like saying, hey, come on, guys. Now's the time to improve our, our culture. So, um, so when you're thinking about positive culture inside of organizations and improving uh, the culture in the, the direction that organizations want to take it to go, what kind of things do you need to consider when you're thinking about this positive culture
1: yeah that's a that's a really great question I always say to people um, that creating a great culture ha- is is two things uh, and there are bits within those things but I call them creating great places that's the first one and the second one is creating safe spaces and they work in that order um so let me unpick that a little bit so for me great places is is about setting an environment an atmosphere in which people can thrive so there are there are kind of three basic principles to that And the first one is about creating psychological safety. Now, this is something that big companies such as Google have really done huge amounts of work on. So this is about setting out um, contracts around how people are going to behave with each other in order to get the best out of each other. And these are really kind of open dialogues that companies are willing to have on a very equal basis with their employees. But the key facet in these is that people hold each other to account on them. So I think uh, that that's kind of a a really critical facet. Um, I think the second one in creating great places is around creating systems, policies and processes that work for people. So if we think about, uh, I don't know, expenses policies in organisations, for example, when you think about those for your organisation, do you legislate for the full or are you legislating for the average person so often policies written for people who are the fools, people who break policy, rather than for the average population, the 99% who follow the rules and can think sensibly about stuff. And we see really great examples from people like Netflix who've reviewed their expenses policy and and simply have five words, which is um, act in Netflix best interests, you know, this idea that people are intelligent and can make good decisions. Um, And that brings in trust. So a key element is trust. And I guess the third thing that you see with, with organisations that create really great organisational cultures is that they have a people strategy. They don't just have a business strategy, they have a people strategy about how they go about developing talent and how they keep those people on top form, both reflectively looking at their own behaviours and improving them, but also contributing to the innovation within the organisation. Um, and then I said the second bit was about safe spaces. So. Safe spaces for me is simple. Once you've created a great culture in which people can trust and feel safe and can move forward, take risks that they need to take, this is about giving them one-to-one spaces to explore their own leadership behaviour, and we might typically call that action learning or coaching.
0: Okay. So, and I, I love that it's because it drops off the tongue, doesn't it? Great places and safe spaces. It's a good way of like, I, I love little tools of the mind yeah. kind of thing. It's, it's really cool. So, and you mentioned leaders right at the end there and something um, that crops up in a lot of my podcasts that we get to a point where we realize that one of the, the kingpins in the middle of anything you try and do around people and HR is is the leader. The leader mm-hmm kind of breaks or makes any kind of strategy you're trying to do. So when you're thinking about positive cultures and you're thinking about leaders, what springs to mind for you? What what is it that you think leaders can do to, to make it or break it?
1: What a brilliant question, and where do I begin? <laughs> I have so many answers to it. I'm reminded of a great quote by somebody called Susan Scott, and she said, and it's a horrible quote, but I think it's really um, kind of uh, useful. She said, The fish rots from the head. This idea that if an organisational culture is not great, I told you it was revolting. If yeah. an organisational culture is not great, that comes from the top. Um, and, and another adage to put into that is is the idea that you get what you tolerate. So if you tolerate a certain culture as a leader, if you're not actively seeking to have the best culture, then, then you know, bad things are going to happen, really. So, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of leadership, there are a million things we could say. I guess if, if you flip back in history and you think about leaders who have had impact on the world and we compare two really diverse characters, let's take um, two really diverse, let's go for Hitler and, and Mandela, two poles apart. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between those two people? Well, we could certainly say both of them delivered. We may certainly say that we don't agree with what Hitler delivered, but he did deliver on something he wanted to deliver, and, and Mandela the same, but with a different ethos. But what's the difference between the two of them? I guess that's about people and engagement of people. So. Uh, did Hitler engage his people by will? I'm not sure he did really and when you look at Mandela the difference for him is he not only delivered but he created a culture in which people followed him willingly but also for those who didn't follow him he was able to uh, you know, value them and care about them and, and, and make them an important part of what he was doing so... Is leadership important in creating cultures? It is absolutely central and pivotal and the approach the leader takes is a make or break to that culture, really.
0: That's really interesting. You know, I, I, we could go off and talk about leaders yeah. of the world. and will <laughs> <that> next time. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and actually uh, a <laughs> uh, different snapshots in time, how these leaders are viewed and everything. And uh, I think at the moment we, we have some very populist leaders in the world. And, and they're, do, they're, they're, they're taking a large proportion of populations with them. But I suppose I would question back the short term versus the long term. Sustainability, and I, I think a great culture has to have a almost like a sustainability. It's, it's it can't be a fad. And I think in organisations, I see these activities that are done to 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 radically transform the culture, and it's almost like the accelerators put down, and it's taken off, and and the culture is like kind of seeps back to where it was and I think for me a role of, of leaders and especially right at the top of organisations how do you sustain this not just in the good times mm-hmm. but actually in the bad times where it's all going horribly wrong um, is really interesting as well. So. Yeah, I mean, what about um, the the general employees themselves? Can you think of anything that they can impact in this? I mean, where do you think the role of an average employee, because some of our listeners right now aren't CEOs, which I'm sure probably 99% of them are, (laughs) but but where do you think they feel? What can they do to help the culture?
1: That's a tricky question to answer. It's a great question, but a tricky question to answer. What can they do? I I guess um, being honest if you can be, is is a really critical feature. Being able to create or ask to have um, a safe space in which to be able to look at your own leadership behavior and how that's contributing to the wider culture, but also to be able to find relationships within the organization in which you can be honest around the psychological contract, the feel of, of the organization and I guess not to contribute to setting a negative culture so we can all talk on corners and and we probably can all think of times where we've done that but actually that's a choice and I think when you think about what you do for a living you have to remember that every day whatever you do it's a choice to be there so to to behave in line with that choice I think as an employee you have a responsibility to do that if that Mm. makes some sense.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, I've recently encountered an organisation where it's it's a couple of hundred people and actually those people go out at weekends and they go out together in the evenings. It's almost like work and home. We talk about home and work life, like blurring. It's almost like it's totally overlapped. But then you start getting different issues, like because it's almost like families, and families have a little bickering and thing going on and everything. So I think there is that kind of. It's not, when you, you hear the words, but it's like that corporate citizenship kind of thing. There's an element of that there, isn't there, in culture? So. Um,
1: yeah, I'd completely. I would completely agree with that, and I think you, you, you know you asked the question about leaders and leaders uh, setting culture, and I, and uh, it's really about leadership purpose versus leadership checklisting. So if I can explain what I mean by that, you know, we can all be driven by the need to uh, checklist, to align ourselves with with what's going on in the world. So um, if there is a directive from the government to be pulled in one way, or um, your, your competitors are driving towards something and you feel therefore you need to steer your business to, to kind of be competitive with them, and then there's the opposite, which is about leadership purpose and really leading your organisation with a moral purpose and not being swayed from that, even if the people around you are trying to pull you in a different direction. So I guess one of the critical things around setting culture is that the leader you know, is very clear on their vision, their values, their purpose, and they run their organisation in line with that. And the bottom line there is coming back to... We all have business plans and business strategies and and KPIs and various other things we measure ourselves against. But do we have a consistent people strategy that allows us to talent manage, to invest, but also to keep checking in and measuring the tone of that culture and to do something about it?
0: So there's a bit there around narrative as well then isn't there? It's about understanding the essence of why your company exists and almost being honest about it as well. I I do see a couple of companies who have their mission statements and you think, no that's not really what you're there for. I'm sure the shareholders will have something else to say about that. But but actually have that narrative and to engage your people and, and make them feel part of something that's special.
1: Uh, And it's you have to listen. I mean, listening is key, but it's also facing the hard stuff, isn't it? It's facing up to stuff you don't want to hear, reflecting on it and and doing something about it. You know, nobody moves forward unless they know the truth and, and truth's kind of critical here. And if I can give an adage, the adage I would give is if you were to give an employee a camera and ask them over the course of a month to take photographs in your organisation as if no one were watching, and you lined all of those photographs up on a table, what would that say about your culture? And is it what you think? And if it isn't, how have you got yourself in a situation where you don't know that?
0: and I bet they're not the photos you see on the on the uh, <laughs> website for recruitment, the stock photos no. you see all the time. Absolutely. So as um, we, we're starting to get towards the end of the podcast and time flies when you're having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose most of our, this is Tap Talks HR podcast, most of our listeners uh, work in the broader HR arena. Of the different roles, different, and I get this as a hard question, but if there was one or two things that you were saying to your HR colleagues out there about what they could just think about, or a couple of words they could just go and take away and play with back in, in the real world, what would you say to them?
1: I think for the individual, I think that there are two things. The first is always think about the weather you set. You know, we give off culture. Um, Sometimes I say to people, you can have radiator behaviour and drain behaviour, and a lot of that affects the culture in an organisation. So you said corporate responsibility. We have a responsibility to think about our own weather, okay? And I think the the second thing is to be absolutely clear on your own moral purpose, because whether you're working in an organisation or you're seeking to find a job in an organisation, you need to end up somewhere that matches that more, that core moral purpose and, and, and you bring that with you. And so it's incredibly important that you surround yourself in an environment that matches what you need.
0: That's fantastic. That's great. And uh, I've, I've had so many one-liners today. It's really good. My, my, I have to tell you, the weather you set is quite a good one. Thank you very much for that <laughs> one. I, I love the one, you get what you tolerate And I think you can take that in so many different ways in HR, but from an ER point of view, but very much around. The cultural norms. If if you're seeing a senior manager do something that you wouldn't expect from your general employees, then then actually calling it is just as important, if not more important, because it can just undo all that good stuff, can't it? I'm not so sure about the fish rots from the head. I think I might leave that to another (laughs) time. I had too much mental image for that one. Um, But uh, Catherine, as always, it's great to have you along, and I, I have to say, it's a really good dive into culture there and actually some elements about how we can create a, a more positive culture so thanks for coming along
1: it's great to, to work with you
0: no worries at all and uh, thanks everyone for listening as always you can always find out more about our tap talks HR podcast on your podcast channel or at tapsolutions.com where we have the entire library of podcasts which you can delve into and you can find out about maybe our blogs and our forums uh, that we also do and um, thanks again for listening everyone and speak to you soon Oh,